Today I get the opportunity to continue in the Encounters with Christ series. Today we will be looking at the book of Mark, ch- chapter 6, and I hope you brought your Bibles. If not, we'll just, I'm going to be teaching it chronologically. I'll read the text. We'll teach the points. It's going to be good. This series has been a good one in that we have been encountering Christ again and again. And there's a common denominator from people saying, you know, I knew that story, but last Sunday I felt that story. And this is, again, what you are invited to. Whether you have been a Christian for a long time or you're still trying to figure out if you're a Christian at all. Whether you're somebody that's a junior higher or high schooler or somebody many decades removed from that, we are aligned together in this room. Those listening online, we are aligned under the scriptures, under this thought that Jesus is enough. This is your title this morning, that Jesus is enough. And then your subtitle is, and there will be leftovers too. There'll be leftovers. Jesus is enough. In 1999, Heather and I got married in the spring. We worked the summer. We moved to Los Angeles in the fall. And it was a time of great joy for us. But there was this fear. There's just not enough. We moved to Los Angeles. We had no place to live. We lived with friends. And then there was a little ad in the Los Angeles Times for a home for rent in Pasadena. I was full of fear looking into the future. We don't have enough money to pay this rent. We called. The person picked up the phone and said there have been 20 calls in the first hour. There's not enough. There's nowhere to live. We're going to die out here. I don't know if you ever suffer from it, but I call it the chicken little syndrome. Like the sky is falling. And when I look into the future, it's so easy at times to feel like there's not enough. We were able to move into the house. I got a job making basically minimum wage chasing my dream in Hollywood. I was working at Trimark Pictures in Marina Del Rey, driving across the city. My wife started seminary at Fuller. She got a job. It was a time of joy, but hear me, a time of scarcity. The paycheck would come in. The paycheck would be allocated. We would go get groceries, and Heather would be shopping, and I was just like hearing the cash register. And then like everything of produce, she would put in the basket. I'm like... You're pushing it. Fresh food? Are you kidding? It's got to be like ramen and mac and cheese. And she would push me back, you know, so it's like, no, no, we bought some produce. But I'm telling you, it was, it was, it was scarce. But there was enough. There was. And even I would look into the next paycheck or the next month. And, you know, there's this constant theme in my life. I don't know if you can relate. We're looking into the, looking into the future can feel like I'm not sure there's enough. There's people in this room that are going to be starting school in a couple of weeks. And whether you're starting school and you know a ton of people or you know a few people, you may be wondering, is there enough for this new program, for these new relationships? Some of you are, are, are starting new jobs, are starting new families, are starting new relationships. I don't know what God is doing in your life right now, but if you're like me and you look into the future, it's easy to feel like there's not enough. Well, Thanksgiving came, that Thanksgiving of 1999. There wasn't quite enough. We didn't have enough money to go home, so we stayed home. We didn't have any friends, so we had nowhere to go. But we're like, well, let's go get some groceries. And we, I feel like we had about $90, $90 to our name to be able to go and get groceries. We went to Vons, we walk in, and lo and behold, there's a, you know, there's a promotion. Spend $80 or more free turkey. Well, we bought $80.01. We filled up our basket to get that free turkey. And I dug through the freezer to find, I mean, these were like big old frozen birds, you know. And I'm digging through to find, like one was 17 pounds, 18 pounds. No, I was going to get my money's worth. You know, found one down at the bottom, all freezer bird. Like 21 pounds is this baby. And we safely tucked it into the freezer. And then 
Thanksgiving Day came a couple days later, and we called home about noon. We'd slept in. We we're having a, a jolly old time, and they said, oh, we sure miss you people, but we're having a great time. We're going to have our own Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, the, the turkey's still in the freezer, so we're going to get ready to cook it soon, and our family's like, no, there's not enough time. Like, we literally ate Thanksgiving about midnight, but I tell you what, we had leftovers for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. When we look back and tell that story, ah, it's a story of provision. It's a story of joy. It's a story to, it's family legacy. There will always be enough. Look back. There's frozen turkeys in our past. But when we look into the future, if you're like me, there is this disconnect at times. God, how might you provide in this next season? Instead of being people that are stuck in the past, we need to be disciples that can look into each and every forward moment and say, God, I long to experience your provision and I trust that it's going to show up. I trust. Because being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not about you or what you can do or what you can't do or what you do have or what you don't have. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is about him and that he will feed you, that he will provide for you and, and, and that you might be able to look into the season ahead. I know for many of you in the room, the season is changing. Quite literally, as summer comes to an end, season's changing. Christ is challenging this morning. Will you believe in the season ahead that there will be enough, there's going to be enough time, there's going to be enough money, there's going to be enough relationships? Not because you're so great, us, Jesus says, but in me there will be enough. And so our big idea this morning that's in your outline is that a Christian faith, our faith, grows when we turn places of disruption or need or scarcity or, or anything we face into opportunities for Christ to feed us. So we learn again and again and again and again, in Christ we might say, we have enough. There is enough. And that bold proclamation can carry us into the future saying, we believe that in Christ there is enough. You see in your outline, it's all caps. I'm really excited. I just like I'm screaming at you through your pages this morning. But I got to tell you, it's been good this series because we have experienced Christ again. The Spirit of God has been pouring through our worship services, carrying people into their weeks, reminding his disciples through his words in this book, there's enough. Let's look at the feeding of the 5,000. We're going to study the book of Mark, Mark chapter 6. This is the disruption. It's the miracle mo uh, movement that happens in Mark 6. Now, we could study Luke 9, John 6, Matthew 14. I forget the Matthew. But it's this, this miracle is in all four Gospels. I love how Mark writes about it. So we'll study out of Mark today. Look at Mark 6, verses 30 through 34. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported him all they'd done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, they're hungry, he said to them, come, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Now, the context of this miracle is really important. In both Luke and, and Mark, 
with the, what's just happened, the disciples have just returned from being sent out. Jesus has sent them out, so some time has passed, and Jesus has, has sent them out in pairs so they can experience his provision in relationship, and they've experienced all sorts of crazy things. It's been beautiful. People have been healed. People have been changed. People have been transformed. They were part of it. And then it's like Jesus is, is calling them. They, they come back, they're hungry, they're tired, they're exhausted, and Jesus invites them, hey, come and get some rest. Uh, that come and get some rest. I mean, some of us, that could be a great tattoo, right? Like do it, you know, like the Christian tattoo, like in a cross on my forearm or something. You know, I'm unfortunately turning 44 this month. I wish I could be tattooed. I'm, I'm to the point now where I would just look like a poser. But if I could get a tattoo, I would just come and get some rest. Like I, I would love that. What an invitation. What a word. Because we're busy and we're active and we're tired. And even the summer can feel a lot of us be real busy. And so they're hungry and they've just been on this big mission trip and they're exhausted and and Jesus has invited them and it doesn't turn out that way. On the day that they were invited for rest, it turned into arguably the biggest miracle in the gospel of Mark. And if the disciples are like me, they're probably frustrated. They were already hungry. So we understand when we're tired and we're hungry, everything gets harder. Even as in our Christian faith, we get tired sometimes like, Maybe it's not that God's failing me. Maybe I just need a nap right now. Anyone else in the room? Like, things just get worse when you're hungry and tired. So they're hungry. They've just come back from this experience. Christ has invited them. But when Christ looks on the people like sheep without a shepherd, he changes his plans. The disciples are still hungry because they're in a remote place. And the people coming are hungry for something more than bread. We'll get to that in just a minute. And, And it's ironic, I find. Because so often, you know, you can decide, well, yeah, Jesus, you invited me to rest. I want to be a disciple who can rest. And I've decided, like, this day I'm going to take a nap. But the kids won't take a nap, too. Or this day I'm going to, like, rest by even, like, doing some things that feed me. But the neighbor stopped by and wanted to talk. This, this day I'm going to, you know, we can decide what rest looks like, how it will be. And if you're like me, when plan A becomes plan B, C, D, E, F, G, can we see the disruption as opportunity? Christ does. And thus, as disciples that are trying to follow in his movement, he's encouraging us through this text that even in times where we don't want to give up our plan for resting or our plan to do something for ourselves, Jesus says, will you be disruptible? Will you see in the face of another an opportunity not to be annoyed, but to feed them? This is especially true with parents, because with parents, you can, you know, I'm, I'm you know, going to take a nap, or I'm going to, you know, do this thing, and then a kid needs a ride, or a kid wants to talk at a time that's inopportune for you, or a kid needs something, or you're sensing that maybe your kid is longing to connect. Are we disruptable? Notice what happens in this passage, that if Jesus isn't disruptable, this miracle doesn't happen. If Jesus isn't disruptible, this story is about a great nap that 12 disciples had on the Sea of Galilee beach somewhere. That's a great story too, but it's not the one told in scriptures. Because Jesus was disruptible, hungry people got fed. In the book of Luke, it tells the same story that that everyone that needs healing was healed. It says there was 5,000 men. Now, 5,000 scholars debate this. They're in a remote place. Would women and children have traveled with the men? In the book of John, remember, it's the little boy that has the, the, the fish and the loaf. So at least one kid was there. And most believe 
5,000 men is how crowds were counted in the first century, but there's many thousands more. And it says that Jesus healed them all. He taught, that, that he taught them the kingdom of God again and again. He looked at them like sheep without a shepherd. And so, if you're hungry this morning, this text is for you. That the things that you hunger for, Christ longs to fill you up. You hunger for peace, he longs to give you that. You hunger for, for, for less anxiety around money or the future, your Lord Jesus longs to give you that. You hunger for relationship or for fun or for rest or for activity. Jesus like, I long to, to feed you in what you hunger for, but you need to be disruptable. And this is a big one for us. We must learn to see disruptions of our life as a place for potential for God to move. We must look at the disruptions of our day as a place and a potential for God to move. Would you, God, even show up in my disruptable day? Really hard in the workplace. Because you set your mind to something, you have your task. This is hard for me sometimes when I sit down at the junction in a meeting or to write a message and people disrupt. But I gotta tell you, you know, the former Sugar Strip Club, the Sour Church offices, the coffee shop One Cup, I invite you there. There's people on the street from 6 a.m. to noon often getting methadone at the THS Methadone Clinic be disruptable. Some of our best moments and best relationships were because we saw people as they really were. Not as a disruption, but as sheep without a shepherd. Looking for more than just the muffins we serve on Tuesday morning. Looking for Christ. Be disruptable. You never know what God might want to say when your day takes a plan B. You never know. Like we had this happen just the other day. A car broke down. We were late to a party. We got our times wrong. We're always late anyway. It's just a spiritual gift, I guess. And we got our times wrong. So we were really late. We were an hour late to a party. We thought we were on time too. So that's our life. There's always a little busyness, craziness. And as we're going there, having a discussion, a spousal discussion, right? Maybe just a discussion. Might have been an argument. Might have been a discussion. A car in front of us in the, in the intersection looks like they've broken down. Now, everything in me wants to just drive around. Beep, beep, peace. May Jesus go. You know, lo- you know I got a party I'm already late to with a bunch of Christians. Please don't disrupt me. But there was, there was a woman driving a car. Her car died in the middle of the intersection. We stop. We park the car. We get out. We push the car to the side. Are you okay? Do you have a way? Oh, yeah, fine. Call. It does it. Whatever. You know, there's a conversation. Now, the story ends there. Like, I wish I'd say, and then I said, do you know Jesus is your Savior? And I baptized her in Echo Lake later that afternoon. It was amazing. Like, uh, you know, like, we don't know what God will do with the disruptions. We got back in the car, and, and, and my wife was saying, you know, my dad used to do that too. Because he just saw disruptions as a place maybe that someone needs help. We never, never know what God's going to do with the disruptions. Are we disruptible? This miracle happens because Jesus says, hey, hungry people need to get filled. For you, in the month ahead, I know there's a lot coming your way. Be open to the disruption being a place for discipleship to grow. So the story continues, and then the lesson is at hand. And Jesus preaches this message to his closest friends here. You already have what you need. Verse 35 through 38, I will tell you here, uh, just a moment, we'll pull up the text. I'll tell you, I've wrestled with this text this week. What's Jesus' tone? I always want to know tone. Like as a storyteller, you know, what's the tone that comes through the words here? Is Jesus annoyed with them? 
I don't think he is. I don't think he is. He, he has a word for them. They've just come back from this powerful mission trip. They're exhausted. And it's like he wants to gather them around and say, I want you to remember, you already have what you need. I know you had power out there and now you're hungry and this plan B is driving you bananas. But in me, says Jesus, you already have what you need. Look at verses 35 to 38 of Mark 6. By this time, remember the crowds, you know, maybe 10,000 people, a huge crowd. By this time, it was late in the day because Jesus had been teaching and healing. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place. They state the obvious. Hey, Jesus, look around. This is a remote place, they said. And it's already very late. They send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. You can pause there. That is so laden with subtext. Jesus, can you just be done with your little healing thing now? Because we're still hungry ourselves. We're still exhausted. We still have this like invitation to come and rescue you. We've not gotten that. And, and there's, they're hungry. You've got to send them away, Jesus. And Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are, are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. And so then they went and found out what was available in the crowd. And they said, we have five and we have two fish. So Jesus is giving them this lesson. What's already at your fingertips and I don't know how you read the Bible. For me, like right now I'm reading Job and 1 Corinthians, but we're called to be people of the text, that the text illuminates the person of Christ. So when we read Scripture, we're always looking for new things to pop. What's popping? What's new? And as, as I studied this passage this week, these words of Christ saying, you give them something to eat, was, it floored me. That, that this is the divine invitation that we get to participate in the mission of God. That's crazy to me. Jesus is, is, is the son of the most high God. He is God incarnate. He could, you know, he could like God did in the Old Testament. He could just make it rain manna. He's just making it rain. All right. You want to see something? But he doesn't. He says, you give them something to eat. And it's like in this discipleship moment, he's teaching them that their power will come when they see they already have what they need in, in Christ. It's unreal. Last week from this stage, I lamented about another evangelical church that put faith in a leader and, and, and minimized the voice of women who accused him of something and another church that's in flames. Leadership gone, church hurting. That was last Sunday. And so the warning was, it's not a Protestant church that will do it perfectly. This week, we get to lament the Catholic church and more victims, more hurt, more shaming, more abuse. And it's Protestant, Catholic, unbelievable. We can't be trusted with God's power. And yet Jesus says what happened to any victim, he calls out and says, enough, expose the truth, bring to light anything in the dark. And I want you to know that you have a part in bringing the kingdom of God to bear. You have a specific role to play. He looks at these disciples saying, look around. It's like sheep without a shepherd, but you will be part of the miracle. You'll be part of the miracle. And, and so they take stock. They said, you know, in the Luke conversion, they said that it would cost over 200 denali, two, two, like $23,000. And then Jesus says that, but, but, but no, stop counting money you don't yet have. Take stock of what you do have. Because in what you already have, says Jesus, a miracle is taking place. 
And this is a big one for us as a church. It's a big one. Jesus is coming to us through the words of this miracle this morning to say, stop coming to me merely for what I can do for you and instead hunger for what I want to do in you. Stop just looking to me as the, as the, the manna, the bread of life, the, 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 the check you need, the relationship you're hoping for, this, 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 this ailment with your child, this, this hurt with your aging adult parent. You know, like, stop coming to me for just the stuff, the bread. And Jesus says, when, when people are just coming for me to do stuff for them, it's different for what they want me to do in them. And this is the discipleship moment. This is the lesson. You have what you need as a, as a believer in Jesus Christ. Those prepositions mean everything. Stop just wanting the bread, the stuff, the, this easy solution, and hunger instead to say, Jesus, what might you do in me through this opportunity, what might you do in me as I look forward? And just instead of living in the past, Jesus is coming to us to say, in me you can do all things. You can do all things. Now, I don't know if I have your Bible here. I don't have a slide. But what's really interesting is in the, in the Luke inversion, it says that they had just come back from being sent out at two. And Luke paints this kind of interesting portrait where he says that Herod, King Herod, who is, you know, kind of, um, he was a puppet government official propped up by Roman emperor, and he was, you know, the Pharisees weren't happy with him, the Sadducees weren't happy, and he was King Herod. Herod, at that same time, was curious about Jesus. It says in Luke 9 that Herod wants to see Jesus himself, and I was curious about that. Herod has all the power, has all the money. Remember, you know, like Herod's temple is still what's left in Jerusalem. King Herod was the Herod in the New Testament. It's his father. Herod was the most powerful man in Jerusalem outside of the emperor in Rome. And it's interesting because Herod in the Luke conversion wants to see Jesus, wants to see a miracle, wants to see a show. In, 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 in Jesus' crucifixion story, remember, it's Pontius Pilate who sends Jesus. He says he remembers Jesus was a Galilean, and so he sends Jesus to Herod. And, and in the crucifixion story of Luke, it says that Herod's delighted. He wants to see a show. He wants to see bread come down. He's curious. He's, he's the man that's already put John the Baptist, beheaded him. He's an evil, evil man. But he's like, oh, I heard there's a new trickster in town. And so he asked Jesus to perform for him. And Jesus refuses to just do stuff for him. Because Herod doesn't actually want Jesus to do anything in him. And so Herod, at the end of Luke, humiliates Jesus, puts a robe on, sends it back to Pilate, where he'll end up being crucified. What's the point? The point is that many of us at times, we can be guilty of this. And go with me, church. We can be little Herod's. We just want to show. We just want the bread. Jesus, can you just fix this thing? I got this big thing right now, Jesus. Can you fix the thing? Jesus, stop hungering for what I can do for you and keep hungering for what I want to do in you. This is the lesson of discipleship. Jesus fed these people, but for his closest believers, he's saying, you already have what you need. And stop thinking that you'll feel more fulfilled when I just do the next miracle for you. Learn to have provision with any situation with Christ is in us. And this is where our joy will come from. This is when you look at people, sometimes, you know, saints of just, you know, not true saints, but people that we look into our, our lives, they're just like, oh, I want a faith like that. How do they have joy in any situation? How do they have contentment? 
How have they learned that in times of plenty and in times of scarcity, that Christ is enough? They seem to master this art of knowing that they want to hunger for what Christ can do in them more than what Christ can do for them. This is where the joy and contentment comes from as disciples, where we can thank God for what he's already given us. And that we would be, for parents in the room, that this would be our legacy. We'd be teaching our children the faithfulness of God. He showed up before, and he'll show up again. And I don't know how he's going to show up, but I know he's going to show up. Let's be thankful this moment for what we already have at hand. We uh, had a picnic on the beach uh, recently. My daughter came back from camp, and she said, you know, it'd be really fun just to go down the beach. Beautiful Edmonds evening. You know, it's 80 degrees, and... and the, the smoke in the skies allowed that sun to just kind of hang in the air, and we could just look at the sun at bright orange. Blankets set out. Gorgeous meal prepared by my wife. Warm sand from the day's sun. Sunshine. The, the, you know, the cue the ferry. The ferry comes in. You know I mean? It's, it's perfect. And in the midst of the meal, like some of the kids, the littlest disciples... I'm trying to mentor my little disciples to have hearts of gratitude and contentment. And it starts up in the middle of the, the one meal. Hey, can we go get Froyo next? Hey, can it be movie night? It's already like 8 o'clock. We've already like done the stupid thing by taking, like you don't eat on sand. Everyone knows that's a bad idea. You get sand in your teeth, you know, but we're down there. We're trying to make a moment. And it's like, hey, can we do a movie? Can we do the next thing? Can we do? I'm like, stop. Like the meal here is the moment. Stop obsessing about what will come next and live into what's now. In the same way, for us, if we're going to follow Jesus, let us cool our jets on what next problem he might solve and say, today, this day, God, you have been good to me. And I don't know how you're going to lead me into the future, but this day I say, be formed in me. And let me stop hungering for just the stuff you'll do for me. And then Jesus leads us into this conclusion. Look at the conclusion where these words, Jesus is enough, just come through the subtext of the scripture. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Look at Mark 6, 39 through 44. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. It's a little subtext about community. In a big group, hard to feel known. In smaller groups, your name will be known. We'll be talking about community in September. You need a tribe of people where your story is known and you matter. Big groups, really hard to connect to Christ and be fed. Smaller groups really matter in the life of faith. So Jesus breaks them into hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and two fish that were already in the crowd, looking up to heaven. He gave thanks. He broke the loaves. And then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. They divided the two fish among them all. Two fish. Two fish. I'm a fisherman. I tell a lot of stuff. Two fish for 10,000 people. They all ate and they were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. One per person. Every disciple went home with their own basket of leftovers. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. But most say there was many more than that. Very interesting here. Each disciple gets a reminder, oh my gosh, this Jesus is so much bigger than I even thought he was. Some wonder if the crowds, that many in the crowd, knew a miracle was taking place or not, but the disciples, unmistakable. If you're a person in the room this morning, you're like, I just need my own miracle before I can feed someone else, find yourself in a group of 50 or 100 and know that Jesus longs to fill your needs. 
and, and, and come to him in prayer and long for him to be formed in you and believe that Jesus is enough into the forward. Stop relying on the 20-pound turkeys of your past and lean into what Christ will do next. And for leaders in this room, leaders, parents, grandparents, leaders, teachers, this is a tough text for you. Will you trust him into the situations you're leading from that there is enough with leftovers too? They they rush to a conclusion that Jesus might not perform and Jesus does a miracle. You know, and there's a heresy about this text. Sometimes you'll hear people, you know, the real miracle, the real miracle here, this is my theologian voice, the real miracle taking place here is about sharing Because these many people wouldn't have come to a distant place without food. They're not idiots in the first century. They knew that food was far away. So they've got their own little loaf here under under their tunic. They've got their own little trout up under their drawers. You know, like how gross is that? Like just carrying my little fish with me for the day, you know. And so people say, oh, the real miracles in groups of 50 and 100, the people are like, all right, you can have this old fish in my drawers, you know. Like, and I'm being silly, but that's how people teach it. Like, it wasn't a miracle. It was just sharing And that in the groups of 50, they could really be vulnerable with one another, and they all pulled out their food, and they had a picnic. Okay, it's a heresy because this is a miracle. All four of the Gospels told this story that Jesus did something incredible. Why does it matter? Because when we try to make the Gospel palatable, digestible, simple enough that we can all understand it, well, it's not, you know, Jesus multiplying fish and loaves. It's just hard for me to comprehend, so... Pulling trout and bread out from our drawers is really more powerful. Like, come on now. No, it's a miracle. And it's part of the gospel story. We don't get to pick and choose the parts. Jesus came to earth to remind us of God's great power. And then at the end of his ministry, he he allowed himself to die for us. So that we we could cross over into a relationship with God that we would never achieve on our own. Sometimes we try to make the gospel more palatable and we really just make Jesus seem smaller. Jesus comes to the text today, I am enough. Everyone was satisfied. The Greek word here, kortazo, that means satiated, to be filled to the full. They were all satisfied, every one of them, in Christ. He longs for us to know that in him there is enough. And as we look into the season ahead, the moment ahead, whatever we fill in the blank, the concerns, we say, Jesus, I don't know how you might provide into the season ahead. He's calling us as disciples to remember he is enough. And he longs to feed us. And as leaders in the room, he calls you to remember that his power is the power that will live in you. His power is the power that will fulfill you. His power is the one that will will bring sanity to your family schedule in the months ahead. His power on display in your life. We don't always do this, and recently we haven't done it all that often, but sometimes when we pray as a family over our food, we 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 stop with the words, we just sing the doxology. We sit around with our kids and we, you know, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And we're sitting there and, you know, there's a plate of food. But if you think about it, like we're singing that because it's, it's provision. And I've sang that song with my kids in times of total anxiousness. 
in times of relationship turmoil, in times where we were worried about one of their lives, in times where we weren't sure what would happen with our fishing business. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I will feed you. I will fill you. I will live in you. Will you receive it? Will you receive it? The most beautiful thing about that song is like pre-language. My son who's now five, he would just watch us sing. Fascinated. This is the God who provides. And I don't know what you need God to do right now for you. But church, may we start with the remembrance he longs to do that in you. The God of heaven and earth alive in you in every situation you face. Let me pray for us all now. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the reminder that you are enough and you long to provide us with what's already at our fingertips. We can so often, Lord, be, be hungering for the next experience when you just call us to be present to what you have set before us now. Teach us, Lord, from a posture of gratitude and contentment that you have provided already. And Lord, make our faith stories not ones that can just look back in the frozen turkeys of our past, but look forward and confidently declare into every changing season that you are enough. Lord, we pray for teachers in the room stepping back into the classroom that you would be enough. We pray for students stepping into new schools or old schools that, Jesus, you would be enough. Lord, for parents that you would be enough in everything they're coming. Lord, for people that are single this morning, that you would be enough. Lord, we sacrifice the idol that somehow singleness is incompleteness. You are are the one making them complete. Lord, for older disciples in the room navigating retirement and kids and, and, and parents, parenting on both sides, you're enough. We, we hand over control to the kids that we're raising and the kids that have left our homes, that God, you would be magnified in their life, that you're enough. And to our professions, Lord, those seeking vocational discernment, those working from home right now, those confused about how they might work, you are enough. Lord, for people laboring under a health condition right now, you're enough. You're enough, you're enough, you're enough. Feed us, Lord, from that truth. Feed us, remind us. There's not just enough, there's leftovers too. Over and over and over again, you've been good to us and you'll do it again. We repent of ways that we've longed for you to just do stuff for us. And Lord, we hunger for you to do stuff in us. More joy, more peace, more righteousness, more hope. And when we blow it, God, we're going to call upon your power to live in us and we're going to do it better tomorrow. That we might be witness of your great power and provision in our own spirits. And all God's people said, Amen. Will you stand with us as we close in a powerful song, Christ is Enough. May this be our declaration as a church this morning.